welcome back to another episode of the Search, Ponder, and Pray podcast, where we strive to follow the Come, Follow Me outline provided by the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, um, where we strive to become more devoted and uh, dedicated disciples to the Lord Jesus Christ. I hope you're having a wonderful week so far, and let's go ahead and get started with a word of prayer. We're going to jump back into Acts 10 and probably finish it off today. Um, but let's go ahead and start off with a word of prayer first. Our dear Heavenly Father, we are humbled that we have a chance to come before Thee and to learn about Thy hand. We thank Thee for Thy word. We thank Thee for the power of Thy spirit. We ask Thee now to please bless us with it that we might be able to have our minds and hearts open to see and know what Thou wouldst have us learn. Please forgive us of our sins, Father. Help us to become more devoted disciples. We pray for these things humbly in the name of thy Son, Jesus Christ. Amen. All right, so when we last left off, um, Peter has just had his vision. He just had the vision, and the vision has ended, and now we uh, we get to the point where now there's these three individuals. The, the, well, I don't know if it's the three, but there are, the, there are these men who all of a sudden, who Cornelius sent to, who an angel told him to send to go get. So now they've arrived. Here they are. And so here they are, and we're going to start right off in verse 19. It says, While Peter th- thought on the vision, the Spirit said unto him, Behold, three men seek thee. Okay, so there are three. Behold, three men seek thee. Arise, therefore, and get thee down, and go with them, doubting nothing, for I have sent them. Then Peter went down to the men, which were sent unto him from Cornelius, and said, Behold, I am he whom, whom ye seek. What is the cause that whereof ye are, ye are come? And they said, Cornelius, the centurion, a just man and one that feareth God, and of good report among all the nations of the Jews, was warned from God by an holy angel to send for thee into his house, and to hear words of thee. So you might you might gain some appreciation uh, from the fact that uh, the Spirit told him, don't worry, I've sent them. And then they were having tr- trouble finding him. Um if the Romans were trying to capture capture any any Christians at the time, I don't know that they were, but I could imagine that maybe Simon the Tanner was concerned that, that might be the case. And with that in mind, he may have been in the act of trying to hide Peter uh, from Roman authorities, and to have these these three men show up and say, "Oh, you know, Cornelius, obviously a Roman-sounding name, not." not uh hebrew in any sense you know with uh, oh, cornelius he he wants he's a god-fearing man he wants to hear your words he wants you to come come with us come with us it can i'm sure it got, probably pricked the the alert a little bit in their minds but they were told don't worry i've sent them so verse 23 then ca- then called he them in and lodged them and on the morrow peter went away with them and certain brethren from joppa accompanied him and the morrow after they entered into Caesarea, and Cornelius waited for them, and called together his kinsmen and near friends. And as Peter was coming in, Cornelius met him, and fell down at his feet and worshipped him. But Peter took him up, saying, Stand up. I myself also am a man. And as he talked with him, he went in and found many that were come together. And he said unto them, Ye know how that it is an it is unlawful thing for a man that is a Jew to keep company or come unto one of, of another nation. But God hath showed me that I should not call any man common or unclean. Therefore came I unto you without gainsaying, 
as soon as I was sent for. I ask, therefore, for what intent ye have sent for me. So, you have this this moment in which Peter is going against the traditions that he has lived his whole life. And if you watch the Bible videos provided by the church, uh, you'll see this moment where Peter is, he, he walks up to the door of Cornelius' house and he stops for a moment and he has to almost convince himself to walk in. This was, this was a very big deal. This was a moment of societal change, of great societal change that some may have not been so excited about, but it was what the Lord had, had said needed to happen. So you have this change because God is no respecter of persons. And now things are going to be very different. Things are going to press forward. And the part that I find interesting is the part where he says, I came as soon as I was called for. Peter may, may have drug his feet a little bit. Maybe. But he came as soon as he was called for. He, he, he's, he's showing us that he didn't pull a Jonah and say, nope, I'm not going to those people. Those people are unclean. I don't like those people. I'm leaving. So let's jump over to the New Testament manual, a section called God is no respecter of persons. The scriptures teach that God is no respecter of persons, meaning that every person from Adam to the last person on earth will receive an opportunity to accept the gospel. The principles of salvation are the same for all of God's children. Nephi declared, he, he inviteth them all to come unto him and partake of his goodness. He denieth none that come unto him, black and white, bond and free, male and female. All are alike unto God. But before the events described in Acts 10, the gospel was taught predominantly to the Jews. The new revelation and understanding given through Peter opened the doors for the gospel to be taught to all people without consideration of lineage. A similar pattern followed in 1978 when a revelation received by the First Presidency extended the priesthood and temple blessings to all worthy male members of the church without regard for race or color. This revelation, like the revelation received by Peter, teaches that the gospel was always has always gone forth according to the Lord's timetable. Shortly after the 1978 revelation was announced, it was announced to the world, Elder Bruce R. McConkie taught, not only is the gospel to go on a priority basis and harmonious to a divine timetable to one nation after another, but the whole history of God's dealings with men on earth indicates that such has been the case in the past. It has been restricted and limited where many people are concerned. For instance, in the day between Moses and Christ, the gospel went to those of Israel almost exclusively. By the, time of the, by the time of Jesus, the legal administers and prophetic associates that he had were so fully indoctrinated with the concept of having the gospel go only to the house of Israel that they were totally unable to envision the true significance of his proclamation that after the resurrection they should then go to all the world. They did not go to the Gentile nations initially. In, this, in his own ministration, Jesus preached only to, the, only to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. 
and had so com- and, and had so commanded the apostles. It is true that he made a few minor exceptions because of the faith and devotion of some Gentile people. They were there was one woman who wanted to eat the crumbs that fell from the table of the children, causing him to say, O woman, great is thy faith. With some minor exceptions, the gospel in that day went exclusively to Israel. The Lord had to give Peter the vision, the vision and revelation of the sheet coming down from heaven with the unclean meat on it, following which Cornelius sent the messenger to Peter to learn what he, Cornelius, and his Gentile associates should do. The Lord commanded them that the gospel should go to the Gentiles, and so it was. There was about a quarter of a century then, in New Testament times, when there were extreme difficulties among the saints. They were weighing and evaluating, struggling with the problems of whether the gospel was to go only to the house of Israel, or whether it now went to all men. Could all men come to him on an equal basis with the seed of Abraham? You know this principle. God hath made the made of one blood all nations of men, for to dwell on the face for to dwell on all the face of the earth, and all and hath determined the times before appointed, and the bounds of their habitation, that they should seek the Lord, if haply they might feel after him and find him. Meaning that there is an appointed time for for successive nations and peoples and races and cultures to be offered the saving truths of the gospel. We get our truth and our light line upon line and precept upon precept. We have now and we we now we have now had a, hmm, sorry, we have now had added a new flood of intelligence and light on this particular subject, and it erases all the darkness and all the views and all the thoughts of the past. They don't matter any more. On this occasion, the revelation extending the priesthood to the all-worthy males, because of the importuning of the faith and because the hour and the time had arrived, the Lord in his providences poured out the Holy Ghost upon the first presidency and the twelve in a miraculous and marvelous manner, beyond anything that any then president had ever experienced. That comes from a, a talk titled The New Revelation on the on Priesthood from 1981. That seems to lay it out fairly straightforward. <laughs> Pretty much there's not a whole lot more I could say. I had wanted to say something in regards to that occurrence when, when the priesthood was extended to all worthy males. Because it is, it is very much a similar notion. But I wasn't sure how to say it. So I'm glad that was provided there in that manner. If we do press forward and we see things not happening in the way that we would like them to occur, or we feel like God is being unfair, We have to remember that it all rests on God's timetable. And there are reasons greater and grander than we can understand at the time as to why certain things are held back from us. It's not an easy truth to grapple with, but it is the truth. I think to say much more is to speculate but there is a reason, and they are gods, and we will have a chance to ask him about them 
but God's timetable will be what holds and determines when things happen. So let's read on. Uh, we are now in... So verse 29, he says, I ask, therefore, for what intent ye have sent for me. Verse 30, And Cornelius said, Four days ago I was fasting until this hour, and at the ninth hour I prayed in my house, and behold, a man stood before me in bright clothing. And said Cornelius, Thy prayer is heard, and thine alms are in, in remembrance in the sight of God. Send therefore to Joppa, and call hither Simon, whose surname is Peter. He lodged in he is lodged in the house of one Simon, a tanner by the seaside, who, when he cometh, shall speak unto thee. Immediately, therefore, I sent to thee. Thou hast well done that thou art come. Now, therefore, are we all here present before God, and hear all things that are commanded thee of God. Then Peter opened his mouth and said, Of a truth I perceive that God is no respecter of persons. But it is every nation but in, but in every nation, he that feareth him and worketh righteousness is accepted with him. The word which God sent unto, unto the children of Israel, preach, preaching, by, preaching peace by Jesus Christ, he is Lord of all. That word I say ye know, which was published throughout all Judea and began from Galilee after the baptism which John preached. How God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Ghost and with power, who went about doing good and healing all that were oppressed of the devil, for God was with him. So the New Testament manual has a little bit to say about doing good. He says, Having understood the meaning of his vision, Peter testified that the knowledge of Jesus Christ's life and mission should be taught to all people. Peter taught that God had anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Ghost and with power. The name title, Christ, literally means anointed one. Peter declared that the Savior went about doing good. These few words summarize an important aspect of the life of the Savior and provide an invitation to all those who follow him to serve as he served. While speaking to priesthood holders, President Thomas S. Monson taught principles that apply to everyone. Jesus was the epitome of service. It was said of him that he went about doing good. Do we, my brethren, do likewise? Our opportunities are many, but some are perishable and fleeting. Brethren, what supernal joy and feel, joy you feel when someone recalls counsel you gave, for an example you lived, or truth you taught that taught the influence you had in prompting another to do good. That comes from his April 1998 conference talk titled In Harm's Way. So this kind of goes back to what we were talking about yesterday about strengthening your uh, your ability to to receive and and notice revelation and act upon it in the moment that it arrives. Um, are we are we doing that? Are we are we going about doing good? Are we looking for all the different ways that we can do good? And as we said yesterday, sometimes you don't know the effect it might have. You might produce do something you felt you felt inspired to do. And it might just kind of float out there into the void and you walk away and don't really know what effect you might have. But it might, the effect might come years later. We're coming back to that whole idea of God's timetable. Resting and being assured and waiting upon the Lord's timetable. That patience, the patience that Cornelius <clears throat> and his family had. 
they had the, the patience to wait, to wait for whatever might, whatever the Lord might instruct. They were faithful and they waited upon the Lord. And we are told countless times in the scripture, in the scriptures, that those who wait upon the Lord will be greatly blessed. So let's read forward just a little bit more. Um, in verse 39, And ye are witnesses of all things which he did, both in the land of the Jews and in Jerusalem, whom they slew and hanged on a tree. Him God raised up the third day and showed him openly, not to all the people, but to witnesses chosen before of God, even to us who did eat and drink after, eat and drink with him after he arose from the dead. And he commanded us to preach unto the people and to testify that it was that it is he which was ordained of God to be the judge for the quick and the dead, to give all the, to give all the prophets witness. And through his name, whosoever believeth in him that receiveth remission of sins. While Peter yet spake these words, the Holy Ghost fell on, on all them which heard the word. And they of the circumcision which believed were astonished, as many as came with Peter, because that on the Gentiles was also, also was poured out the, the gift of the Holy Ghost. For they heard them speak with tongues and magnify God. Then answered Peter, can any man forbid water that these should not be baptized, which have received the Holy Ghost as well as we? And he commanded them to be baptized in the name of the Lord. Then prayed they him to tarry certain days. Let's look at the New Testament manual real quick. Where it talks about the difference between the power of the Holy Ghost and the gift of the Holy Ghost. Um, it says, uh, Acts 10.44-48 records that the Holy Ghost fell on Cornelius and others before they were baptized. The Bible Dictionary explains that the Holy Ghost is manifested to men on the earth, both as the power of the Holy Ghost and as the gift of the Holy Ghost. The power can come upon one before baptism and is the convincing witness that the gospel is true. By the power of the Holy Ghost, a person receives a testimony of Jesus Christ and his works and the work of his servants upon the earth. The gift can come only after proper and authorized baptism is conferred by the laying on of hands, as in Acts 8, 12-25, Moroni 2. The gift of the Holy Ghost is the right to have, is the right to have, when everyone is worthy, the companionship of the Holy Ghost. Elder Bruce R. McConkie taught, the testimony before the testimony before baptism, speaking by way of analogy, comes as a flash of lightning, blazing forth in a dark and stormy night. The companionship of the Holy Ghost after baptism is as the continuing blaze of the sun at noonday, shedding its rays on the path of life and all that surrounds it. So, as he's teaching Cornelius and his family, which I would say once again, Cornelius and his family are, they were there and they were ready. That's one thing Cornelius told Peter. He said, we're here. We're ready to hear thy word. What is it that we should be doing? And that's when Peter has that moment where he finally understands the vision in fullness. He understands that he should call no man common or unclean. And he pushes forward. And he begins to teach him. 
and he has other other people with him, other other Hebrew individuals with him, who, from context, it would seem are a little unsure and a little uncomfortable with this whole thing. They're not quite as sure about it as as Peter is, as Peter is becoming, I should say. And as he is teaching them about Jesus, he, he, he begins teaching them about Jesus, and he, he talks to them in such a way that he makes it sound like they know. He tells them, you know already a lot of this. You already know much of this. And that's, we have been sent by Jesus. That same Jesus who you've believed in, who you've been uh, devoutly following here in your own homes, we are, th- we are the, the messengers of the Lord. And that's when the Holy Ghost comes upon them and they begin to feel that power. And it becomes undeniable that they feel that, that power. And those that are with them, those that are with uh, Peter, are amazed. They, they didn't think it was possible for a Gentile to feel the Holy Ghost and to be elevated in that way. And that's when Peter sees his moment and knows and tells them, do you think we can still refuse baptism to these people? Do you think we can still refuse the the blessings of the gospel to these people who are obviously blessed in the same manner in which we are? This is a great day for Cornelius and his family and his household. But I wonder how long they had to wait in patience. It may have been days. It may have been months. It may have been years in which they had to wait. But the blessing came. And they were blessed because of their faithfulness. And that becomes our task in these latter days. To remain faithful and to bear with patience all things that the Lord seeks to will, will inflict upon us. Not because we, not because God is some vengeful or angry being who wants to simply inflict upon us tortures and pains, and it's our job just to take it and be quiet. Think of it more like God is a personal trainer. God is a personal trainer who is attempting to strengthen us and make us into those people who we need to be. He's our coach, preparing us for the big game day. And sometimes we don't understand why he's making us run and run and run and run and run and it hurts and we don't want to do it anymore. But someday it will all pay off and make sense. I testify that God is our loving Heavenly Father and he cares immensely for us. I testify that as we remain patient and open to revelation, we will begin to see the path ahead of us. I know that this is true, and I say these things ever so humbly in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.